If you got your Bibles, I want you to open up to Acts chapter 2 and go with me to verse 38 and park your Bibles there. Acts chapter 2, verse 38, park your Bible there. You're going to be there for a little bit, then you're going to go to a couple of other spots. Uh, we're going to take a journey here this morning. Um, I want to talk to you about obtaining power. Somebody say power. I need power. Now, do you believe that? I need power. We recently moved the Ferrier household. We went from Marlboro to now Millis. So we're in Millis. If you guys are in that area, welcome to stop on by. Eventually, I want to have everybody over the house and just celebrate the blessing that God has given us and, and really poured out to us in a way that we would never have been able to step into if not for his hand. So uh, we moved in. And, uh, you know, now each of my kids have, have their own rooms and all that good stuff. But one new thing that we're getting used to is the fact that there is two stories, right? So there's a bottom floor and a second floor. So that means we got stairs. And uh, especially during the move, I realized we have stairs. My legs realize we have stairs. And every muscle in my back, we've got stairs. And up and down and up and down. And, and hey, there's a basement, so there's another set of stairs. And we got to put some stuff down there. But um, my daughter uh, also realized that we've got stairs. And my wife um, uh, was able to, to take a video. I don't know if you saw it on, on, on social media or whatever, but whether it was posted or not. Uh, so she's crawling around the house and just kind of going everywhere. Once After she gets used to the initial shock of the fact that we put her down and she's not in our laps and she realizes she's not going to die without being on our hands and in our arms, she starts to move around. And she moved around to the point where she got to the stairs and under our watchful eye, our nine-month-old daughter, who does not even know how to walk yet, uh, started to climb those stairs. And as she got to about the third uh, step, she pulled herself up on the, on the balusters. She, she grabbed hold of those balusters, and she started to pull herself up with her legs. And she just stood there victoriously, like triumphantly, with sheer joy in her face. Like, and my daughter always goes, ooh. That's what she does. It's like, what are you saying? But that, that's, that's what she says. It's awesome. And there she was under our watchful eye, okay, bless you guys call, you know, DCF on us. We were right there. I was within, you know, striking distance. If she should stumble, she was going to be okay, all right? So please don't report me. Um, but my daughter was there discovering the power of her legs. She was discovering the ability within her legs. And this is not new ability to her because uh, last I checked, I was there in the delivery room and she walked, she, she left that hospital with two legs. She didn't walk out, but she left the hospital with two legs. She left there with all of the body parts and everything that God designed in his perfect plan. She left with all of it and we went home. So when she stood on the stairs just the other day, she wasn't coming into, oh, look, this is new. I got legs. It's not like she was bestowed legs at that moment. No, she's had it all along, but she was coming into the power that was within her legs. She was coming within the ability that resides within her two legs. And she stepped into that, and she looked so victorious. In Mark chapter 1, the Bible tells us that John the Baptist was to be the precursor of Jesus the Messiah. That there's a prophecy that was way back in, in the prophet Isaiah that talks about how there was going to be one who would make straight the path unto the coming one. He would be a voice crying out in the wilderness that would speak and prepare the way so that when the Messiah came, people were ready to receive him. So much so that when John the Baptist is on the scene and performing his ministry, he is out there by the Jordan River baptizing men. He says in Mark chapter 1 that I am baptizing you in the baptism of repentance in water, but there is one coming after me that shall baptize you in the Holy Ghost, in spirit and in fire. In other words, there is one coming after me that shall baptize you with power. Somebody say power. And it tells us that John the Baptist, this man who came on the scene as a precursor to Jesus, who proclaimed powerfully this message of repentance and was turning the 
hill country upside down with his message, the Bible tells us that he was a man that didn't come into that power. But if you go to Luke chapter 1, and you hear about the coming of Jesus that was proclaimed, and the coming of John, even the precursor, when Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, who is the cousin of Mary, the mother of Jesus, who is pregnant with John in her womb, when she comes in contact with Mary, who is bearing the seed of God, who has Jesus within her womb, the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 1 that when they met each other and greeted one another, that the child within Elizabeth, that being John, leapt inside of her, and that he was filled, say filled, with the Holy Spirit. John was filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. And the Bible tells us through the words of Jesus Christ, when Jesus steps on the scene, he comes to be baptized by John. John looks at him and says, hey, uh, you should be the one baptizing me. Well, you're getting this all wrong. What's going on here? I'm not even worthy to untie the sandals of your the, the, the strings of your sandal, the, the thongs of your sandal. You know, I'm not worthy to, to touch your kicks, man. I'm not, I'm not good enough to, to get close to your Air Jordans. Like, I can't. I'm not worthy. Yet Jesus says to him, it is right that this should be done. And Jesus submitted, not because he was a man that needed to be repentive, but Jesus did so as an example to us that, hey, I am coming. But yet John knew all along, you have more power than I do, and you're going to baptize everybody with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Yet John the Baptist, filled at birth, who baptized Jesus, when Jesus submitted and came and did that example later on he's talking to his disciples and they're asking about john and the kingdom and they're asking all these things and jesus goes on and says hey of men born of women there is none greater than john this man who had the baptism of the holy spirit at birth within him of men born of women there is none greater than he but then Jesus goes a little further. He says, but of those born after John, of those born of this age, what age? The age of the Holy Spirit. Of those born now, post-Pentecost. Of those born in the church. Of those born today. Say today. Everyone is greater than he. I want you to understand that we need power. John the Baptist was filled at birth, and he was greatest among men. And yet after him, there are men, you and I are all greater than he. Why? Because of this promise of the Holy Spirit. Are you in Acts chapter 2? Come on, are you in Acts chapter 2? Say amen. Acts chapter 2. This is what John, uh, Peter starts preaching on the day of Pentecost. Jesus comes on the scene, does his ministry. He's endued with power. He tells the disciples, you shall receive power to be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You are to wait in Jerusalem from the promise of the Father. And when you rate and receive, you shall be filled to witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. That's Acts chapter 1 verse 8. We're to receive power. Jesus tells us all of these things. He ascends into heaven. And now Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, the disciples are all waiting. They are all seeking God. They are all in one accord, as the Bible tells us, Acts chapter 2. These guys are waiting. And as they pray, as they believe, as they trust in the Lord, the Holy Spirit is poured out. The promise of the Father comes down. This is what he says. Peter replied, each of you 
must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Receive what? You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you to your children, and to those who are far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. We need power. John the Baptist moved on the scene with power. He was filled by the Holy Spirit at birth. He operated under the power of the Holy Ghost as he went throughout his ministry. Jesus operated in like manner. The disciples here on this moment is operating in that way. It should teach us as we read the words and see what John the Baptist did. A man who was out in the wilderness crying out the way of the Lord. He turned that region upside down. God filled him with power that he had a message and a cry that changed the world around him. The church needs power. We need power because God has called us for such a time as this that the world is lost and broken and it needs a manifestation of God's power. The church needs to be filled, as we look at John, that every one of us require this Holy Spirit. It's not sufficient for us to have a touch. It's not sufficient to us to say, well, uh, when I was born, the Holy Spirit was with me. When I was born, I had legs. It needs power. We need to operate in power. We need to walk with the power and the strength that's within our legs. We need to walk with the power and the strength that is within our spirit man, which is the spirit of God that abides within us. We need to walk with a touch is not enough. Saying that I had it when I came into salvation is not enough. It's not enough for us to just say, I receive it in salvation like Paul says to the Ephesians. In chapter 113, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that I've been sealed. Thank you that you came into my life when I stepped into Christianity. But I need power. I need it evident. I need it manifest. I need it to be filled and overflowing. We must be filled. There is only one thing that will meet the needs of this world today. That is power. There is only one thing that will meet the needs of the world today. Look around. There is only the power of the Holy Spirit that will be able to reach the lost in their lost state. There is only the power of God that is able to look at a person who is stuck in the bondage of their addiction and say, I can release you. Men who come to church drunk and under the influence can walk away sober and in their right mind. It is only the power of God. It's only the power of God that can take a person that is under demonic oppression and demonic possession and say that you have been set free. It was only Jesus coming in in power to the man of the Gadarenes who was, was there bound, who would break every chain, who ran around naked and hollering and beating everybody up. It was the power of the Holy Spirit upon Jesus that was able to change that man and put him in his right mind. It is power. We need the power of God. We need God to move within our lives. We need to operate and work in it and flow through it. God wants to take each and every one of us and fill us with his Holy Spirit until we live in God and God lives in us. Every person is looking to us. They want something authentic and genuine. They don't want to just know that you do some, some spiritual rituals. That doesn't give them anything. You can tell them till you're blue in the face that you pray every single day. That you read your Bible for hours and hours and hours. That's great. But if there is no evidence of power after you have read the word and after you have, you know, prayed and fasted, then that means nothing to the person that is looking for something authentic. People want to see the power. And there's nothing wrong with that. The reason the world today is not seeing Jesus Christ, can I just be real today? Can I just speak of my own lack of devotion in times past that I've said, Lord, I need something more. I want something greater. God, the reason that Jesus Christ is not being seen in the lives of believers is because we are not filled with the Holy Spirit. It's because uh, people are satisfied with going to church. People are satisfied with just occasionally reading their Bibles. It's because people are satisfied with sometimes praying if they have a moment. 
The reason people do not see Jesus in our day and age is because we are satisfied with just doing the activity but not having the substance. Friends, if God lays hold of us, if God takes a hold of our hearts, then by his spirit, he is going to make everything within us of the old life just dim down and die away within us. That everything that consumes us, that desires us, that has hold of us, everything of the old passes away and everything is made new. That is the desire of the Holy Spirit within us, that he would take dominance and take precedence, that he would step in and say, I am in control. And I am supplying your need. I am stepping out in your moment of need in your situation. God wants to bring you forth as a flame of fire. Somebody say fire. With a message from him. Not from you. Not from this agenda or that. A message from him. He wants to set us ablaze so that the world will watch. He wants to set us on fire so that people will come to be warmed by him. To be transformed by him. To be nourished by him. He wants to fill us with his power so that by the truth of his word, we can defeat any power in principality and every foul spirit that is trying to uphold the plans of God. God wants to fill us so that we are this flame of unlimited supply that can satisfy every needy soul. And that is the reality until the moment that we see this as the reason why we must be filled, I believe we will never enter into it. We have to realize that we carry within this earthen vessel a treasure beyond measure. That we are the bringers of light that we hold the gospel message that we have the hope of humanity that we have the answer for sin that we have the the transformation that is needed that is desired we hold it through the message of him and we have to share it i don't i'm not even starting yet where where am i god have mercy God wants to bring forth a flame of fire. That's a message from him with the truth that shall defeat the powers of Satan and will be able to give us unlimited supply for every single need. Just as John moved and the whole of Israel was stirred as he gave a mighty cry in that wilderness, you too with the power of the Holy Spirit are to give a cry in this generation, in this region, in this time, in your job, in your family, in your neighborhood, at your workplace, in the marketplace, that the world shall be stirred and they shall be moved by your message. Why is it that we preach and then we say something and then we, we, we wait all this time and nothing happens and people aren't stirred and people aren't moved to tears and people aren't stirred to change their hearts? Why? Because we have no power. We need the power of God. It's the power of God that takes every... Dis- Jesus is on the lap. We're going to get into the Holy Week, right? Next week, right? Palm Sunday. And the week after is, 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 is Good Friday and, and then Easter Sunday and all of this good stuff. I'm jumping the gun. Pentecost is way after, okay? All of those events. But that's all right. What is it that Jesus, when he's having the last supper with the disciples, he's speaking to them. He says, hey, one of you all will betray me. One of you guys are going to betray me. And where I'm going, you guys can't drink the cup that I drink. And they say, oh, Lord, we will never depart from you. We will never, Lord God, say that uh, we will walk away or turn from you. Jesus, we won't. But when Jesus said to them, hey, one of you will betray me. The Bible tells us that they started looking around trying to figure out which one it was. Every one of the disciples, is it me? Will I be the one? Am I going to be the one that, that just breaks down in the midst of opposition and persecution? Am I going to be the one that when the things get hard and the pressures come on and me like a sponge, when I get squeezed, what comes out of me is not going to be Jesus. But it's going to be fear. It's going to be rejection. It's going to be turning away. It's going to be running from him. It's going to be betrayal. They're all wondering, is it I? What is it can, that can take a bunch of disciples who are all wondering, am I the one who's going to betray you? 
All these disciples that are shaking in their boots, all these disciples that are so broken up about what's going to happen, filled with fear, with doubt, who ran into the house and they're, they're praying because persecution is there. Peter, Peter, who, Lord, I won't betray you. I won't deny you. Three times before the crows, you know, cries out, he is denying Jesus on the night of his trial. Every other disciple has fled. No one is there. At the crucifixion, it's only John the beloved and the women who are at the cross. What is it that can take a whole bunch of scared, straight men and women and cause each and every one of them to say, not only have I chosen to follow after him and carry this message, but every single one of them had this desire to give everything for him to the point that all of them, minus John the beloved, becomes martyred for the faith. What is it that can make a person die for a cause? Maybe delusion. Many a person have died because of delusion. But when the going gets tough and the persecution comes and, and, and the accusations and the fire gets, gets turned up, if, if you're going by delusion and a lie, if you're living and motivated by something that is truly not real, there'll come a point that you say, you know what, it's not worth it. This lie is not worth it. This thing that is not real is not worth it. I do not want to pay with my life for a lie. And so what is it that causes these bunch of men and women who are scared to say, I will give my life? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. What is it that can take a Peter who denied him three times? And make that very same Peter stand up on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, just a few verses before. The one who is speaking in verse 38. And he says, hey guys, let me tell you what's going on here. This is what was prophesied by the prophet Joel. That in the last days he would pour out his spirit upon all flesh. That our sons and daughters shall prophesy. And our, our, you know, our young, young men shall dream dreams. Our old men shall have visions and so on and so forth. This is what was promised. And it's concerning Jesus Christ. The one whom you have crucified. The one whom you have rejected. Well, God has elevated him. He gave him the message of salvation. You guys you know, chose to reject him. But he has been made the chief cornerstone this Jesus Christ is the savior of the world this man who was scared steps up in boldness and he declares the gospel and the Bible tells us that 3,000 men that day accepted Christ Man, what a man who was afraid to speak his name now is speaking so boldly and powerfully under the authority of the Holy Spirit by the empowerment of the Spirit of God. And then the results are evident. We need the power of God. Somebody say power. It's the power of God that will change people. It's the power of God that will renew people. It's the power of God that will change the circumstances of our lives. If you are understanding this, say amen. I trust that you stepped into this church today that is a Pentecostal church that believes in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that we are for today to receive the Spirit of God, that we are today to operate under its power and authority. And you can search the scriptures and you can learn. Maybe we'll go into this, the benefits and the blessings and the workings of the Holy Spirit in and through us. But let me just tell you, just evident here in Acts chapter 2, that when they were filled with power, they became witnesses to Jesus and men and women were changed. Lives were transformed. So you need it whether you understand all the intricacies of it or not, whether you can know what the Spirit will do for you, attain for you, fulfill for you, accomplish in you, accomplish in your family, fulfill in your lifetime, it does not matter. What you do need is you need power. Without his power, we can do no thing. Without his power, we cannot be effective. Without his power, we will try decades and decades and centuries and all of that stuff, and we will not move the needle forward. We need the power of God. What these guys waited for for three years following Jesus, in one day, these guys are able to perform exploits because of the power of the Holy Spirit. All right, so do you, do you understand with me that we need power? So how do we attain it? 
Let me get into my message now, if I still have time. <laughs> Say, I need power. I want you to first and foremost understand this. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Who is the Holy Spirit for? Because I am so like frustrated at times when I hear people talk about the Holy Spirit and talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they say, you know what? Well, that was for the New Testament church. And when the canon was finalized, when we had the canon of Scripture, that means the measuring stick of the Scriptures. When we got the full inspiration of God written down, revelation of God through the Bible written, the Holy Spirit said, I'm zipping my lip. I'm no longer filling people up. That bothers me. That bothers me to the nth degree because this is what Peter said. He is speaking to the people. He is cutting them through the words of God, the word of God which is sharper than the two-edged sword. He is speaking truth of the gospel, and the truth is penetrating deep inside of them. And then they say, what must we do to be saved? And Peter says in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, each of you must repent of your sin. And turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then, say then, you will receive what? The gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say, this promise, verse 39, is to you. To who? You. Look at your neighbor and say, that's not you. Wait, what? It's to you. It's to his immediate audience. It's to the Jewish people that he is right before him in his eyes, within the earshot that he's speaking to. It is for all of you today who are here in Jerusalem, who is hearing me preach to you, the Jewish people in front of me. It is to you. Not you. Not me. I'm not Jewish. It's not to me. And then he goes on, and it is to your children. Tell your neighbor, look at the other one that you ignored, the one that you didn't want to say hi to before. It's not for you either. It's to you and to your children. That means it's to every single Jewish person that will come in every age. It is for every person that is the elect of God that has been chosen. God decided that when he was dividing the table of nations and when he was um, apportioning out how the spiritual world would work and who would have their portion, he decided that Israel would be his very portion, that he would be his people and they shall be, he shall be their God. This gift, this promise is for the Jew and for all of their offspring. It's not for me and you, yet. But then Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, he goes on and he says this beautiful thing. It is beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. He says, to all who are far away. Who is the promise of the Holy Spirit for? To all who are far away. Were you there in Jerusalem on that day? No, you were way far away. You were way far away in the concept of time and region and location. We are far off. It was not us in that moment, but he said, the blessing is for you. Somebody say, it's me. It's for me. And then, really, incredibly, if we were separated by any distance or geography or whatever, here is the beautiful reality that will encapsulate and incorporate every single person that would choose to receive it is this. This promise is for all who are called by God. I have been called by God. I have been called by him to be his witness. I have been called to be a son and a son of the most high. You have been called to be a daughter of Christ. And so if you have been called, the promise is for you. Somebody say it's mine. It's for me. And somebody's saying, well, the promise is salvation. Uh, excuse me, if Jesus says, wait for the promise of the Father, and he's referring to the Holy Spirit, why are we going to change the context? The laws of reading context within the scriptures is that we have to look at how a word is used before and how it is used after. And usually within the book, the word is going to mean the same thing. The context is that it is a promise. So it's not the promise of salvation. It's the promise of the gift of his Holy Spirit. It is for all of us. So somebody say, it is settled. The Holy Spirit is for me. The Holy Spirit is for everyone far off. It's for everyone called of God. It's for me. 
Tell your neighbor, it's for us. Don't let nobody tell you, now nah, it's the end of the, of the age of the Spirit. The Spirit of God has ceased. It's done. It's over. We're not, we're not seeing the giftings and the movings and the ministries of the Holy Spirit. That's a lie. If Peter said it's for everybody that's far off and all who are called by God, then that means it's mine. And if it may be, then I want you to understand this. It must be. If it may be mine, then it must be mine. If it may be, if it is possible to be mine, then it has to be mine. That has to be the mindset that we have. If it is available unto me, then I must have it. See, there's a responsibility that is a solemn responsibility when it comes to the Spirit of God. Because of the fact that there is by no other power by which people shall be saved. There is no other name than Jesus and there is no other power and authority but by his Spirit. So if it can be mine, it has to be mine by that just realization. I need the Holy Spirit. If I don't have him. See, if you're walking around without the Holy Spirit in your life, somebody who is broken, who is hurting, who is yearning, will come right by you, walk right beside you, will pass you in your day-to-day, -day, will sit in the office cubicle right next to you, and you will walk away unchanged. But when you realize that you have the Holy Spirit available, that it is a calling and a promise for everyone that is a child of God, then what happens is that because that person is sitting next to me and they are in deep need and the need of theirs will only be satisfied through the power of God, then it becomes evident that I must have that power. Otherwise, I will allow that person to remain just as they are and go about their day even though I carry the greatest power in all the earth within me. It resides in me. It is the hope of glory and I allow that person to remain the same. Church, we need his power. I was reading, I don't know which of the Old Testament generals of God, saints, but he was walking down a street at one point in time. I don't know if it was Finney, if, if it was Tory, if it was Moody. I don't know who it was, but I just remember the story. He was walking by down the street. A man who was on crutches limped past him, and he's talking to somebody else, another pastor, and they're going to a special church meeting or whatever. And then as they go down several steps down the road, they turn a block. He realizes, I just walked by a person that is in deep need. So he turns around. He goes back to that person and says, hey, sir, I want to pray for you you want you want prayer uh yeah he's like i'm just compelled i need to pray for you so that you'll be healed do you want to be healed he says yes he's like okay then you come and you meet me at the at the hotel i'm in hotel xyz meet me there in five minutes he leaves he goes he prepares the room he gets it ready he comes back down the man with the crutches is there he brings that man into his room. He grabs the oil. He anoints him. And he starts praying to him. And he says, look, I don't have silver or gold. But what I have, I have. I give to you. I give you the power of the Holy Spirit. He prayed over that. That man left that hospital without his crutches, running and dancing and shouting for joy. See, when we meet somebody, when we sit next to somebody, when we encounter a person, woe is me, broken is me, hopeless is me, despairing is me, the ter terrible situation in their life is rampant and available and in your face if you've got the power of the holy spirit you cannot leave them the same way that they were the power of christ compels you i know for a fact i cannot walk by a person that is coming out of their chemo treatment or their radiation or just stepped out of their dialysis and say within my own power and strength, come over here, I gotta pray for you so that you can be healed. The name of Brian Ferrier will do nothing. The intellect of Brian Ferrier will do nothing. The degrees that are hanging in my wall, business degree, seminary degree, will do nothing. But it's by his power and his spirit that that person can be healed. It's by the power of God that the transition and change happens. So who is the promise for? No, that was weak. Who's the promise for? All right. Let me give you seven ways that you can obtain the promise of God. And I'll go fast. All right. Here we go.
The first one, if you want to obtain the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if you want to be filled with the power of God, and you say, I, enough is enough. I need the power of God. The people that I'm talking to need to know Jesus Christ. They need to be compelled by his message, transformed by his available strength. They need to be renewed by the, by the transforming that he brings into their mind. Then you need the power of God. The first thing and foremost thing that you need to do to be filled with the Holy Spirit is you need to accept Jesus Christ as both your Savior and your Lord. Acts 2.38, then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repentance means a change of mind. It's a change of mind in very critical areas. It's a change of mind about God the Father. Like we sang today, he's not like your earthly dad who may have failed you. But he's a good father that gives good gifts to his children. It's a change of mind towards the father. Then it's a change of mind towards the son. That he is the one that came to die a sinless death that we may be purchased and enter into a relationship with God. It's a change of mind about Jesus Christ. He was exalted. He is intentionally the one sent to deal with the problem of sin. We need to have a change of mind about Jesus. Some of us are trying to accept, have the power flowing through our lives, but we've never come into the realization fully that he is the son of God, that he has died for my sins. That needs to wash over us, and we have to accept him for who he is. We need to change our attitude. We need to reject the fact that he is just a man or a good teacher. We need to accept wholeheartedly and hang our hopes on the fact that he is the Messiah, that he was crucified, that he died, that he was buried, but that he rose again, that he is Lord, that he is Savior, that he is God. Essentially, we need to accept him as the one who bore all of our sins and all of our transgressions upon the cross of Calvary. Some of us need to get the cross in front of our faces. We need to change our hearts about that cross and let that wash over us every single day. That cross means that every single ounce of my hope, every single ounce of my being and fiber rests on the assurance and the security of that cross. What Jesus Christ did was sufficient. It's not Jesus and something else. It is Jesus alone. Jesus is all. He is everything. He fulfilled it all. And I need to go to him. It's his finished work that secures for me the baptism of the spirit, the power of God. Some of us are depending on our own ability. If you have a minuscule iota, an atom of dependence upon your own strength, intellect, finances, relationships, and all of this other stuff, I'm sorry. You're not depending on him as your savior. Number two, what did Peter say? You got to repent. You got to turn from sin. That means you got to reject sin. Church, if we're going to be filled with the spirit of God and be empowered, then we need to have this distinctive within us that the, the spirit of God is called holy. Somebody say holy. That means that his character, his being, the very adjective that defines him is completely separated from the action of sin. It cannot abide and reside within the same space. He is holy. If we want the spirit of God to fill us and to endue us with power, to abide within us, to be the temples of the Holy Spirit, we need to get rid of the issue of sin. We need to deal with sin. We need to reject it and renounce it. We need to say, it is finished. Christ paid the price for me. I am not dominated by my flesh. I am not dominated by this inward desire to do what I know I should not do, but I want to do that which God has called me to do. I need to reject that. Some of us, we are making allowances for sin. We're saying, I'm going to, you know what? I know that this is not really good for me, but you know, in moderation, I can handle it. Some, some of the people in the Bible times, they, they did this thing called syncretism. That meant that they, they would amass this little thing about this religion, this little thing about that religion. And at first they're like, oh, that's really bad. But after a while they say, you know what, I'm mature enough. I can incorporate this into my life. I went to Israel with, with, a, with a pastor, teacher, and he was telling me that um, when he became a Christian, he used to love, he used to love Metallica. Love it. Now, I, I've only heard a few songs here and there in passing, never really sat down to hear the lyrics, but of the little bit that I got, it was not edifying. 
And he said that he had all these volume, vinyl records and all of these albums. And, and he would love that music. And he would headbang to that music. And it was awesome. And, and he used to love that stuff. Well, he met Christ. And when he met Christ, he felt this urge within him that he needed to get rid of all of his music. He needed to take all of those albums and give them away. In the book of Acts, when they get to a certain city, the people were so, you know, uh, dabbling in the in witchcraft, in the dark magic, that they, they had all these books of sorcery and witchcraft. When they heard the gospel and the gospel grabbed hold of their hearts, they finally said, we're having a bonfire. They threw all those books and burned all of those things. This is what has to happen when we encounter Jesus Christ. We need to say, I have rejected sin. You reject it and throw it away. Now, here's the sad part about what I was talking to that professor. He said to me after a fact, well, when I was a young Christian and I came into God, he gave me that conviction. I burned all and I threw away. I cracked all those vinyl records. I threw them out. Nobody was going to, I wasn't going to donate it to somebody else. That which God was calling me not to do. I wasn't going to go and gift to someone else to do. I took that and I got rid of it. Why? Because it was a source of depravity. It was a source of insecurity. It had some violent messages in it. It had some things that would stir the wrong things within my soul. So he takes it and he breaks it. But then he says to me, well, over the years, as I got stronger in the Lord, I realized that we are not given this letter of the law, but that we have this ability to be in the freedom of the Holy Spirit in God. And God would allow us to come into a newness of life. And we're not under the curse of the Old Testament, whatever. And so now, like, I, I'm able to enjoy such music again, but I can do so in a way that it does not impact me. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little hands, what you touch. Because as much as we say that sin does not defile, it grabs hold of us insidiously and it goes down deep. See, sin has a way of saying, oh, it's okay, you'll be all right. You ever had a, a, a caramelized apple? Man, he's not here, but um, there was a student. When we were in the youth group one night, I decided, you know what, we're going to do this. We're going to talk about sin. So I grabbed caramelized apples. It was beautiful shiny, nice caramel on the outside. And I put it on the table and I asked for two volunteers. And I said, hey guys, come on over here. We're going to have some apples. And it's a contest. Who can eat it fast, the fastest? And you know, kids are always for competition, teenagers. So, so they started grabbing that one kid, man. He grabbed one apple and he took a bite. When he took a bite, he gave the ugliest face because he's like, what is this? See, I had an apple and I had an onion. And they were both on the outside looking very appealing. One was full of sweet, juicy richness. The other one was full of layers of bitterness. You know, onions are great, but it's a different fa flavor, right? And when you're expecting something sweet and you get hit with that bitter taste of an onion, man... See, that's what the devil will do. He says, you know what? You can handle this music. You can handle this sin. You can watch this show. You can, you know, be on this Instagram because it's all good. It looks good like that appealing apple that's caramelized. But when you take a bite of it on the inside, it is not what you thought it was. And it will give you a bad taste in your mouth. And not only that, you go try to talk to somebody afterwards and say, let me tell you about the beautifulness of Jesus Christ. And they get a whiff of your breath. And it does not smell pleasant at all. What's inside is that bitter smell of that onion. And we say, oh, my sin doesn't impact the message that I preach. Some of y'all, some of y'all are going through and, and, and God wants to use you, but your breath stinks. Because you're full of sin. Because you're dabbling in the wrong things. Because you're working, you know, uh, for God, but yet you're undoing the works of God within your life because you're dabbling with the, with the defilement of the devil. Sin has to be eradicated from our life. And we will never be perfect this side of eternity. My professor in college would say that all the time. Sin is sin, no matter whose bones it on, it's on. And there is no perfection this side of eternity. We will not be, but yet we are to pursue perfection. Be ye holy as I am holy. Follow me as I follow Christ is what Paul said. We are to pursue him with a passion and a desire and say, this of my flesh I will put away and renounce. You want to be filled with the Spirit? Accept Jesus Christ. Number two, you need to reject and renounce sin. Let it out of your life. Number three, what are you to do? You are to openly confess 
See, it's one thing for us to say, I believe in Jesus in my heart. It's another thing to confess him entirely. Look at what Peter says. He says to them, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized. What is baptism? Baptism is a a baptism of water. You go into the tank. You go and you dip under. You are declaring to the world, I am standing with Christ. I am declaring not only to those with an earshot here physically, I am proclaiming to the spirit world, hey, listen up, all you devils. Listen up, powers, principalities, and spirits. Listen up, all you authorities and rulers. I belong to Christ. I'm standing with him. He is mine and I am his. He is the one who shall live lead me. From this day on, I have been buried and I've come alive again. The old is gone and the new has come. See, some of us are saying, I, I'm a follower of Jesus, but nobody knows about it. Friends, Jesus is not running the CIA. He is running the kingdom. He is building a kingdom. He is not running the CIA that is full of covert covert spies that nobody knows who they are. You could be living next door to a CIA spy and you don't even know it. That person can look normal on the outside, can go about life and do whatever. They can go about doing their, 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 their jobs and be involved in this sector of society. And yet deep down behind the scenes, they are a spy, covert, gathering intel, operating a secret mission. Jesus Christ is not looking for CIA operatives. He is looking for generals that will stand at the forefront of the, of the battlefield and say, here I am. You need to open up your lips and confess that he is Lord and Savior. You need to open up your lips and say, I belong to Christ. You need to open up your lips and say, I want the Holy Spirit. I am endued with power. I belong to him. The promise is mine. You need to confess with your lips that he is Lord. You need to declare and not keep it within. You've got to move forward. I'm taking way too long. Let's go next. Uh, You confess. Acts 2.38 you got to make it public. On the day of Pentecost, the church was born. There was not a simple heart repentance within the people. There was a public, very visible, very tangible expression of open confession and praise towards God. We want this world to be changed and your neighborhood to be changed and your job to be transformed and your boss to be renewed. You want your family members to encounter Christ, but yet you're operating behind the scenes under CIA operative status. You got to open up your lips. Let the power of God come forth. Number four, you got to absolutely surrender to God. What does that mean? That means obey him. You want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to start working on this. You accept God. You repent of sin. You confess your sins. You confess your dependence upon God. But then you've got to absolutely surrender. Acts 5.32. Go to your Bibles. Look at Acts 5.32. A couple chapters forward. Acts 5.32. Somebody say, obey. Obey. And we are his witnesses. To these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who what? Obey Obey him. You want to receive the Holy Spirit, you've got to start obeying him. If we are to be honest, we often want Jesus Savior, but we do not want anything with Jesus Lord. We want Jesus Savior, save my sins. Oh, God, come through clutch in this moment. God, save me from my enemies. God, break the power of my enemies. Oh, God, save and redeem me from the hurt and the pain that I'm going through. God, save me from this difficult hour. But how many of us say, oh, God, change the very being of my life. Oh, Lord, search me and know me. Oh, God, see if there be any wicked way in me. Oh, Lord Jesus, renew a steadfast heart within me. How many of us are praying those prayers? We pray, God, come and dash my enemies. God, change my circumstances. But how many of us are saying, Lord, I want to give you everything that is of me. You want to be filled with the spirit? You got to surrender. You got to say, God, I give this all to you. See, there was something in the Old Testament when the, 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 the method of worship was through the sacrificial system. The very first sacrifice that we're taught about in Leviticus chapter 1 is the whole burnt offering. The whole burnt offering was one that the entirety of the animal was given to God. They would take that animal, skin the skin, because every sacrifice required the skin to come off. Every sacrifice. But then they would take 
everything, the head, the breast, the, the, the limbs, all that stuff, the hind legs. Before they would give the hind legs, they would wash it clean. Why? Because every single thing that defiles, the excrement, the poop, and all that good stuff, the entrails, needed to be washed of everything that was defiling. And then the priest would put that all on the altar, and everything was burned to God. And the Bible tells us it was a sweet aroma unto him. It was pleasing that the whole animal would go from being a physical being to be burned in the fire and it would become smoke and that smoke would rise up to God, not because God needed to be appeased, but simply because they wanted to please him, knowing that without sacrifice, without surrender wholly, there is no pleasing God. The whole thing. Some of us are saying, God, I want you to work in my life. I want to have power. I want to move in might by you. But God, you can have access to 99% of me, not the 1%. So you say, God, I want you to come into my heart. I want you to make me clean. I want you to change me from the inside out. And you can have my kids. You can have my job. You can have, Lord God, my yearnings. You can have, Lord Jesus, my future. I give this to you. But God, don't touch my bank account. God, you can have all of this, but that one little sin, it's not really that bad. Can you just leave that one little thing there? See, church, what we need to understand is that we need to completely surrender to God and say, Lord, you are Lord of everything. I will obey your word in its entirety because 99% obedience is 100% disobedience. 1%. You go to a Coke machine, you try to get that thing at a vending machine, whatever it is. I was at the hospital with my kids. I was surprised. A, a single soda was like $4. Like, what is this? And I'm like, I think it's worth only two bucks. I'm going to put two bucks in here. doesn't matter. I will not get it. You want to receive God and his power? You need to surrender everything to him. When the whole burnt offering was put on the altar, the fire of God from the presence, if you go to Leviticus 8 or 9, you go further. God is going to meet the people. He tells them to make all these offerings, the sin offering, the guilt offering, the burnt offering, all of these things. When they had provided everything as God had prescribed, it tells us that the fire of God that abided in the tent of meeting, that stayed within the Holy of Holies, over the Ark of the Covenant, that that thing jumped, the fire of God jumped from where it resided onto the altar of the sacrifice. You want the Holy Spirit to move in your life? You want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Surrender. Enough said. Number five, I got to run. An intense desire for the baptism of the Holy Spirit has to be next. See, some of us want the Holy Spirit, but we don't want it bad enough. Turn to Isaiah chapter 44. I want you to see this in your Bibles. It's in your Bibles. I want you to read the word of God and fall in love with the word of God. Isaiah 44 verse 3. The prophet is speaking well before the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He is speaking well before, hundreds of years before the promise of the Father coming to the people. Isaiah 44 3. For I will pour water on him who is thirsty. On who? Thirsty. And floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on who? Your offspring, your descendants. Did you see it? Now jump to John 7. John chapter 7. Old Testament prophet Isaiah says, I will pour out water on him who is thirsty. I will pour out my spirit. John 7, 37. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone, what? Thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. Did you catch it? You want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? You got a thirst. You got a yearn. You got a desire. You got to have zeal for it. You got to want it more than you want anything else. You got to want it more than you want your next paycheck. You got to want it more than you want your next meal. You got to want it more than you want your next breath. You want to want it in the way that everything that you have will be enough to get it. And everything that you have will be given so that you can have it. You got to earn it. You got to want it, yearn for it. You got to desire it. Blessed is he who what? Hungers and thirsts for they shall be filled. Those are Jesus' words. 
Pastor Luciano Subra, he's a Brazilian pastor. He, he, he shares a story. I, I like hearing his messages. He shares a story, recounts it, of when he was a teenager. The, he and his friends, they so desire the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it, within their circle of friends, their inner circle, there was one of them that still had not yet been filled with the Holy Spirit. So these guys decided that they were going to fast. They're like, you know what? We're going to fast for this thing. Uh, our friend hasn't been, hasn't been filled with the Holy Spirit, so let, let's do a fast. And not knowing how to do it right, should we do a whole fast, a partial fast, you know, not wanting to risk death, these guys decided, we'll just fast lunch and dinner. You know, teenagers, right? They don't know much, but they want, they, they mean well. Let's fast. Maybe if we do this thing for a whole day, we might die. So let's just fast for like a half a day. And for good measure, they say, we'll just drink some soda just because we need something, right? We need something. So they filled up on soda, and they didn't need anything for lunch and for dinner. And some of the old test, some of the, uh, you know, saints around them, some of the old seasoned Christians around them looked at their fast and said, you guys are ridiculous. How are you? This is a fast. You call this a fast? You're, lo you're, you're, you're loading up on sugar. You're filling yourselves with soda. And they started criticizing them. Nevertheless, they, they just said, you know what, we, we're doing this as best we know how, and we want the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we're going to fast. And let me tell you, nothing changed their mind when in that evening service they went to church and their friend was filled with the Holy Spirit. God honored their devotion and their dedication. They honored the fact that they were willing to sacrifice of themselves and say, I want this so much so that I will forego eating if I have to. I will do it collectively with a group of friends because we so much want it, we will sacrifice that our friends can have it. We will go for it with a yearning and a desire, and God shall honor that. And nobody could argue with them that intense desire will bring the Holy Spirit. Friends, do we want it bad enough? Do we want it so much so that it is appealing to us? See, when you're thirsty, it doesn't matter what you have around you. If it ain't water, it makes no difference. If you are thirsty, your friend could say, hey, I just came on to a whole bunch of money. Do you want some? I can help pay your bills. I don't want you. Can your money buy me some water right now? That's what I want. There's nothing else that will satisfy and satiate you when you're thirsty. That's what we need to be for the Holy Spirit. You want to encounter him? Yearn for him. God, I want you. I need you. Because there's no amount of intellect, there's no amount of good looks, there's no amount of acumen, there's no amount of skill that will be able to do what you want done in this time, in this hour. I need your power to fulfill the commission. I need your strength to change the region. I need your grace and your power to be an influence in my family. God, I want you so much and I will not move from this place until you give it to me. Some of us got to tarry and yearn and sacrifice to receive the spirit of God. Number six, you got to pray for it. Specifically. Tell your neighbor, pray for it. Let me just give you the scriptures and we'll wrap this thing up. Definite prayer for the baptism is absolutely critical. Luke eleven thirteen. 13. Any of you, if you have a red letter Bible, you're going to realize that these are the words of Jesus Christ. That means it's coming straight from the source itself. Here's what he says. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who what? Ask him. Ask him. You got to ask him. If you're not asking God for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the express infilling and experience of the Holy Spirit. Not God, thank you that you made me a saved Christian, that you, you come into my life. And when I came into relationship with you, the Holy Spirit came into my heart. And he, I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Hunky dory. No, God, I want the baptism of your spirit. I want to be filled with power. I want to have an experience with you beyond my salvation. I want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I am filled with unction, with power in the Holy Ghost. Come on over, guys. You can start playing. Uh, I want to be filled with you. You got to pray for it. You got to ask. Jesus is expressly linking baptism to the Spirit to prayer. And the Old Testament backs that up. The New Testament backs it up. Acts chapter 4.31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were gathered in shook under the power of God. What were they doing in the upper room in Acts chapter 2? They were praying. What were they doing in the house of Cornelius? Peter was praying. Cornelius was praying. And then he starts speaking the words of God. And the place is shaken. 
What happens in Acts chapter 8? When Peter and John had come down to Samaria, these guys are getting stirred up. They're, 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 they're experiencing God. They come and they realize, you guys don't have the Holy Spirit yet. So what does he do? He prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost, for as of yet they had fallen upon none of them. Don't get mixed up with the crowd of well-meaning Christians that will go and tell you that you shouldn't pray for this experience. Don't get caught up with this group of people that tell you, you don't have to pray for the Holy Spirit. You got it. He's yours. He's in you. You already have it. Pray for it. Come on. God is a good father that will give to his children. When my kids ask me for things, I want to give it to them if it's within my power. But sometimes my son wants things and I don't know what's going on in his little mind. And so he, if he doesn't ask me, I'm not going to provide. Some things I will. I know he needs shelter. He needs food. He needs home. You know, he needs, he needs the warmth and, and all that love and, and good stuff. I'll provide it. But there are things that are within my disposal that if he doesn't ask me, he ain't going to get. He's got to ask. We've got to ask. Some people will argue that the Holy Spirit was giving as an abiding gift to the church. When the day of Pentecost came, the Holy Spirit came to the church. Boom, done. But let me tell you, if that's your logic, then go read John 3.16. Well, God gave his son for the whole world, so enough said. End of the book. Everybody go home, we're done. Uh, excuse me, what God gave as an abiding gift to the whole world, every individual must appropriate and say, I want to receive the gifts of God. Yes, God died for the whole world through his son, Jesus Christ, and gave his son for the world. But if we don't say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior, I do not take hold of the general provisions of God into the particular experience of my life. The Holy Spirit was given on the day of Pentecost. Amen. Praise God. But Lord, I want it for me. Give me the Spirit. Thank you, you gave it to the whole church, all who are far off, everyone that will be given the privilege of being called the Son of God. But God, I want it for me. Pray for it. Ask God. Step into it. And number seven, you got to have faith. Let's wrap up with this. Stand to your feet. The final component in receiving the Holy Spirit. You got to believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. You got to accept him renouncing your sin. You've got to confess it with your lips. You have to surrender to him. You have to yearn for him. You have to ask him to come into your life. But you got to do all of these things through the power of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. The final component, Mark eleven twenty four. 24. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you have received them and you will have them. In God's kingdom, this spiritual protocol has to be followed. No matter how plain or complex the promise is, belief accesses all of them. Belief accesses all of them. There is access through belief. No matter how complex, no matter how simple, you've got to believe. We encounter God and his promises personally when we believe. That's why James tells his readers that if you're asking for wisdom, you must believe and not doubt. For every man who doubts is like a wave of the sea tossed to and from. A person who is double-minded in such ways should never think that he'll receive anything, wow, from God. If asking for wisdom to deal with, you know, life, which I think is necessary and important, requires belief, how much more so being endued with power from God that will change the nations and the fabric of our society, how much more do we have to have belief and faith that we shall receive. That's why the word tells us that we, in 1 John 5, have something very precious at our reach. John says this, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. Somebody say amen. That is the greatest news. 
The first question you got to ask is, is it God's will to give me his spirit? Yes. Yes. Is it his will to heal me? Yes. Is it his will that none should perish? Yes. So if we ask in his will, we believe that we've got it. Period. It's done. It is done. Say done. See, we got to recalibrate our minds to that reality. We got to recalibrate to the fact that if we ask in his will, it is all done. It's God's will that we're filled. Therefore, my prayers has to be spoken in a way that I know God has heard me. Father, I thank you that I am saved. I thank you that I've rejected sin. I thank you, Lord, that I have confessed with my lips and I make it known among men that you are my Lord and Savior. I'm surrendering my heart to you. God, I know that there is a deep yearning with me. I want my will to be aligned with yours. God, I thank you that that is your desire to transform me in my mind. I thank you, Lord God, that that is your will for me. So, Father, I'm asking you, give me that which you promised to give. As a good father, you will give it to me. God, I have faith that I am asking you so whether I see it or not, whether I feel it or not, I know that it is mine. I have been baptized by the Spirit. I have the power from Most High. I am unctioned by God to do the calling and the ministry of the Word. And I will go forth in power because it is mine. See, some of us are looking around towards our feelings and letting that dictate our theology. But God says, look at my word. What does that say? Is it my will for you? And if I said it's yours, then you need to just appropriate it. Take it. Go for it. It's God's word. If I take the Bible at its naked truth, as its unadulterated form, then it's not long until I have the actual experience. It's not long. Virginia, you shared a testimony earlier in the year about your testimony from Christmas. How was the best Christmas you've had? And I love that story because she's sitting in her house with a vertebrae in her tailbone that is messed up, causing her a lot of pain. She's sitting there watching a TV show, a Christian program, where a man somewhere around the world is preaching the gospel. And then he looks in the camera and he says, somebody right now listening has a coccyx vertebrae that is going to be healed in Jesus' name. Virginia tells the story of how, she, and if you were here, you heard her tell it on this pulpit, that sitting in her house with pain, not able to sit there, she realizes he's talking about me that's me that's mine and she takes hold of it and in that moment god heals her amen god give to god be the glory it's that belief church that we have to have that god said the holy spirit is for us that he will give us good gifts that if we ask if we yearn if we submit ourselves if we lay down our sins if we believe in jesus that we have it god i have it god it's mine Smith Wigglesworth used to say this, we shall never get anywhere if we depend upon our feelings. There is something a thousand times better than feelings, and that is the naked word of God. Somebody say, I believe the word. Somebody say, I believe the word. It is for me. It is with me. It is mine. I stand on it. I walk in it. I operate through it. The word is mine, and I shall live it. In Jesus' name.